Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church Podcast. Here you'll find archived all of our previous messages dating back to late 2020. Our hope is that today's message would be encouraging to your walk with Christ. We also want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get to it. Fasting as we seek uh, God's will for our next youth pastor. And uh, I don't know how many of you have fasted before or how often you have fasted, uh, but uh, I hope that you are uh, able to participate with us tonight. And, and as I said before, depending on how the Lord leads, we uh, may do this once a month until we find uh, God's man for this position. Uh, the longest I think I've ever gone without food is 30 hours. That was the 30-hour famine, uh, which was, I don't know if it's still a thing that youth groups do, but when I was a youth pastor in Kentucky, that was a, a popular ministry activity to do, and so our youth group took on the 30-hour famine challenge, and so we went 30 hours without eating. That's the longest I've ever gone. You can actually survive a long time without food, particularly if you do a long-term fast under a doctor's supervision. Uh, Jesus is not the only man who fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, Moses, uh, uh, Elijah did a long fast, although Elijah was supernaturally uh, provided for before he began his fast. But there's something that is more valuable than food, and that's water. You can't go long without water. I remember when I was in high school and I got sun poisoning, and I thought, I literally thought I was going to die for probably about an hour. I mean, I just was so, I could not, hey, it was traumatic for me, okay? (laughs) I could not drink, and I mean, I just felt so thirsty. I've never, I've never felt thirst like that before. And um, it was a scary, it was a scary hour or two, but uh, obviously I, I live to tell the, the sordid tale. But you can't go very long without water. Imagine your life depending on a constant, steady, reliable source of water. We take that for granted. I mean, I take for granted that I I use too much water when I wash the dishes. A lot of times you say, just let me do the dishes. Just let me, I do it faster than you. I I don't waste the water that you waste. I take it for granted that long, hot shower that that I've liked to take. And and my dad used to flush the toilet on me to try to get me out of there. You're wasting water. If it's still hot, it's still shower time. That was my... That was my philosophy. Now as a parent, I'm rushing to to get the showers done so I can just get Elijah to school and all that. But we take water for granted in our culture. But if you lived before the days of pipes and before the days of indoor plumbing, if you lived in a desert wilderness land and you not only had to supply for your own, bodily needs and your family's needs, but also for the flocks that were sustaining your 
uh, family lifestyle and your family income, you would recognize the significance of the wells in the wilderness. And we're going to look tonight as we continue this study on Isaac and also continue what we began last week, this particular study I'm calling Echoes of the Past, Promises for the Future, Genesis chapter 26. We're going to see the importance of the wells that God provided in the wilderness, in the land of Canaan, but during a famine, during a famine that God provided for Isaac, but not without conflict. Now, as we go back to Genesis chapter 26, remember Abraham is gone. Isaac, the child of the promise, is center stage. This is the one chapter in the Bible where Isaac is the central focus. Uh, we're going to see him play heavily into what happens, Lord willing, when we come back in January. and Because uh, this is the last Wednesday night that we'll have for uh, several weeks uh, due to Christmas and, and um, New Year's. But we're going to see him uh, heavily play a role in the next chapter as well. But the next chapter, we uh, find Isaac blessing Jacob and Esau and not the way that he expected to bless them. And so next chapter, as the hands go on Jacob, literally the story is going to begin to shift from Isaac to Jacob. This is Isaac's time to shine in the Scriptures. This is the chapter that really teaches us the strengths and the weaknesses, but also the growing faith of this man named Isaac. We don't know much about Isaac. It's a reminder that it's a reminder from silence that we're saved by our faith, not our works, because Isaac is a man blessed by God really very clearly before his works really became evident. You know, he had his big moment in the sun when he was a young man and he got on that altar and that we don't want to minimize that that statement of faith there as a child he was a believer as a child in God but it wasn't until he was much older that his faith really became his own and he really grew into that uh, confession that he made as a young child getting on that altar uh, for the Lord and his father and so last week when we looked at verses 1 through 17 we saw that there was a familiar famine, just as in the days of his father there had been a famine, so also now in the days of Isaac there's a famine. But there is also in the famine a familiar face. It is God speaking now directly, not through Abraham, not through his wife, but directly to Isaac and promising him that familiar face that his father was so familiar with, the face of God, God said, I will be with thee, I will bless thee. He promised to give Isaac the land and to his descendants the land. He promised to keep the promises that he made to Abraham through Isaac, that he would multiply Isaac's seed. I'll give, your land, I'll give this land to your descendants, um, reflecting again a future fulfillment as we're going to see tonight. Isaac is not king of the land. He is not enjoying, even though this is uh, given to him, and his descendants, that is something he's only experiencing by faith because he is not experiencing that by sight. We'll see that again more clearly tonight. This reflects a future promise, a future fulfillment. But also the promise 
Isaac, your seed will bless the entire earth. And that has been fulfilled through the seed of Isaac, the seed of Jacob, the seed of Judah, the seed of David, the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ. A familiar fear we saw last week, though, also as he moved into the land that would become known as the land of the Philistines and and um, uh, Moses refers to it retroactively as the land of the Philistines. There is this fear that they will kill him because his wife is so beautiful and just as his father lied, he lied as well. A familiar failure. But then we see even after he's caught, the familiar favor of God, God kept all his, even though he was not perfect and even though he sinned, God kept his promises and the and the confidence that I have, the hope that I have is even when I have failed God, as Paul tells Timothy, even when we are faithless, he is faithful. He cannot deny himself. And when we confess faith in Jesus Christ, that he died for us, that he rose again, he paid our sin debt and we call upon him to be our savior and to forgive us of all our sins. And we believe by faith that it's his grace The shed blood of Jesus paid for our sins, not our works. The resurrection of Jesus has secured our eternal life, not our works. We are forgiven. We are brought into the family of God. We are one with Christ. And now we are seen by God the Father as in God the Son. And we are in Him legally. We are in Him in some way mystically that we can't understand. But we also have the favor. The Greek word favor is translated into English as grace. We experience the grace of God. Now, tonight, part two of Echoes of the Past, Promises of the Future. I want you to see with me in verses 12 through 14. Again, we're going to backtrack just for a second and look at the familiar fortune as God pours out his grace, just as he poured it out on Abraham, he now pours it out on Isaac. And just as Abraham was very wealthy, so now Isaac is going to be multiplied even beyond what he was given by his father. Genesis 26, verse 12, Isaac sowed in that land. Now remember, this is in a time of famine. He sowed in that land and received in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. He had never been a farmer before. He is a beginner farmer. He's been a, a, a shepherd. He's been uh, a, the Lord of many uh, herds and many animals, but this is the first time he's actually tried his hand at farming. And because of God's hand on him, boom, a hundredfold harvest. And the man, verse 13, waxed great and went forward and grew until he became very great. For he had possession of flocks and possession of herds and great store of servants, and the Philistines envied him. The vast majority of wealthy people in the world today did not get their wealth by blessing. They got their wealth by cutting corners and selling their soul little by little, maybe chunk by chunk. And we need to remember that it is only from the Father of lights that we get every good and every perfect gift. And when we try to get blessing apart from God, when we try to cheat for our blessings, those blessings are very temporary. 
and very fragile and very fleeting, and we will leave those blessings all behind. It is only when God blesses that we can truly say these blessings belong to me because they're given to me by God. God greatly blessed Isaac. And here's the take home for us. Where God leads, he blesses. Where God leads us, he blesses. And so if I want to get the blessing of God, if I want God's grace or favor on my life, again, we're, we talk about saving grace. You, you cannot be saved by works. You can only be saved by grace through faith. But the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter and the other apostles talked about the serving grace that we need. We need grace as God's children. We need God's favor on our lives as God's servants in order to be uh, experiencing in this life the blessings that God has for us. And so in order to experience that, we have to follow God where he leads. We need to be in his word. We need to be uh, responsive and sensitive to his spirit, which means we need to be men and women of prayer, which is why we're here tonight. Where God leads, he blesses, even in the midst of famine, even in the midst of trials. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Psalm 37, 25 says, I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. God will not forsake his children. But as we've already mentioned, verse 14, there was conflict. The Philistines, the people of the land, envied Isaac. Can you imagine? You've worked all your life as a farmer, and all of a sudden this guy shows up, this foreigner shows up, throws some seed on the ground, boom! Boom! In the midst of a famine, now it didn't quite happen like that. It wasn't like Jack and the Beanstalk. He didn't just throw seed out and it popped up the very next day. But, but he did the work and then a, a hundredfold on top of all the wealth that he had with all the animals. And the enemy was angry. And so it, it brings us to the familiar feud because remember, Abraham had problems with these people as well, the, the people of Abimelech. He had issues with them as well. And so listen to what happens next. Let's pick up the story in verse 15. At the Philistines envied him for all the wells, verse 15, which his father's servants had digged, which Abraham's servants had digged. In the days of Abraham, his father, the Philistines had stopped them and filled them with earth. And Abimelech said unto Isaac, this is not the same Abimelech. Remember, Abimelech is a title like king or president or pharaoh. It's just a title. And so the Abimelech of Isaac's day is seeing what is happening. And he says unto Isaac, go from us. Thou art much mightier than we. And Isaac departed thence and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac digged again the wells of water which they had digged in the days of Abraham his father. In other words, he goes back to those wells. The Philistines had, he's going to the wells that he knows. His dad dug them. And they're there and they're getting there and they're all filled in. They're all filled in with earth. And so what are his servants doing? Well, let's dig them up again. And so they dig up the wells which they had digged in the days of Abraham. And the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abraham. And he called their names. We'll come back to this. But he called their names, the names of the wells, after the names by which his father had called them, and Isaac's servants digged in the valley and found there was 
a well of springed water. And the herdmen of Gerar did strive with Isaac's herdmen, saying, The water is ours. And he called the name of the well Essek, because they strove with him. And they digged another well and strove for that also. And he called the name of it Sitna. Now, I'm not going to get caught up in what the meanings of these names are uh, that Isaac called them because he, had to, he ended up changing the names as, as he encountered problems at these wells where he had hoped to find water in the wilderness during a famine. All of these animals that he needed to take care of, not to mention his own flesh and blood and his servants and all the people he had to take care of. And the wells are stopped. And they dig them up, and the Philistines oppose them. Those are our wells. Those are all wells. Get out. Move. Move. Abimelech rejected Isaac. His people opposed Isaac. Not directly. They weren't, they weren't going to attack him. They weren't going to try to murder him. They, for, first of all, he had lots and lots of servants, so that, that they would not have gone down without a fight. That's one. But number two... They have a history with this family and they know God's hand on this family. They know the stories of what's happened in the past. And so the enemy is not going to attack him directly. Many times the enemy does not come at us directly. But here's what I need you to know. What God blesses, the enemy opposes. Whatever God blesses, the blessings of God will always provoke two things. The ire of the enemy and the envy of the wicked. This is what happened to his father. Turn back uh, just a few pages to chapter 21. Chapter 21, and let's look at um, verse, chapter 21, verse 25. We see Abraham with Abimelech, and Abraham reproved Abimelech. This, again, different king, but the king of, of Abraham's day. Because of a well of water, which Abimelech's servants had violently taken away. And Abimelech said, I what not who hath done this thing. Neither didst thou tell me, neither yet heard I of it. But today, and Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them unto Abimelech. Both of them made a covenant. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What mean these seven ewe lambs which thou hast set by themselves? And he said, For these seven ewe lambs shalt thou take of my hand, that they may be a witness unto me that I have digged this well. Wherefore, he called that place Beersheba, because there they swear both of them. Thus, they made a covenant at Beersheba. So a familiar, familiar foe. What God blesses, the enemy will oppose. Don't think because you're facing opposition that God's not leading you in that direction. Don't think just because you're facing opposition that God isn't blessing that's why there's opposition. We had Dr. Moyer here a, a few months ago now, and Dr. Moyer told me, whenever you want to do something evangelistically, the devil will oppose it. And if the devil's not opposing, if, you're not, if your church isn't engaged in spiritual warfare, it's because you're not preaching the gospel, you're not trying to reach the lost, because the devil will leave those churches alone for the most part. They'll, they'll destroy themselves. He does not want the light of the gospel to shine in South Cumberland in this church. And so he will oppose what God is blessing. We have to be prepared for the opposition. The Apostle John would write to us in 1 John 3.13, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. 
because the enemy hates what God blesses and the, and the wicked will envy what God blesses. And notice this also, the enemy's hostility was irrational and self-destructive. Irrational and self-destructive. They are stopping up wells in a famine when the world needs water, when they need water. Why? They're willing to cut off their nose to spite their face. They're, they're so filled with envy that they're willing to harm themselves to try to get to, to Isaac, to try to drive him away. Let's stop up the wells, and if we have to dig them back up, if we can make him leave, and then we'll do that work. And we'll, but they're, they're self-destructive. Don't be shocked when the enemy, because of the power of envy, is blinding, and it's maddening. And I mean that in the literal sense where it makes people mad. They do irrational, self-destructive things when they're envious. They will hurt themselves to try to hurt you. And so just expect that. And what do we do when that happens to us? Well, what did Isaac do? And here we see the testimony of the child of promise here. And here he, he is a far from perfect man, but here he shows us a pattern that we can follow, a pattern of faith. We see the familiar focus of Isaac. Familiar in what way? This was what his father did. This is what he learned from dad. This was Abraham's heart. Remember, I said verse 18, we'll come back to this. He called the wells after the names by which his father had called them. Why is that significant? Because his father would name the wells after his encounters with God and as testimonies of what God was doing in his life and how God was providing. Because those wells were monuments of God's intervention and provision. He wasn't looking at the wells as the source of his life. He was looking at God as the source of the wells, and it was through the wells that God was providing the source for his life and for his sustenance. And Isaac is learning from his father. He focuses on the Lord. And so what happens next? Jump with me. Where do we leave off here? Verse 22. So he removed from thence. He has to leave again because of all the problems. He doesn't want direct conflict with the people of the land. And he digged another well. And finally, he got to a place for that they strove not. There, finally, he found a place where they got a well dug and the opposition ran out of steam. The opposition wore out. The opposition, because of their envy, because they kept hurting themselves. They finally got tired of hurting themselves and they gave up. And so he called it, the name of it Rehoboth, for he said, for now the Lord hath made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. Now God has shown himself that he will provide. And he went up from thence to Beersheba. Now we just read about Beersheba. What happened in Beersheba with his father? That was where his father had made a covenant with Abimelech. And that's where his father had strove over the well that had been taken from him and said, I want my well back and I'll pay you for it because I want you to know 
that I'm not just trying to get something extra. I'm not lying to try to get ahead. I will pay for what I already deserve and own by right, by work, by sweat. I will, as testimony, I'm telling you the truth, I'll give you these lambs. And so he goes back to the place where God gave back the well that he had dug. And what does God do when he sees Isaac's faith? Notice verse 24, and the Lord appeared unto him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, thy father. Fear not, for I am with thee and will bless thee and multiply thy seed for my servant Abraham's sake. And what does Isaac do next? The same thing he learned from his father. Verse 25. He built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dig the well. God's going to bless me. I'm going to go to Beersheba. And God shows up and said, you're right, Isaac. I am going to bless you. And Isaac said, guys, Start digging. Start digging a well. By faith, we're going to find water here as well. We're going to find a source of water here as well. So, a couple of take-homes from this. Number one, when the enemy opposes us, God must be our focus. The devil wants to do... If he cannot defeat you, he will try to distract you. If he cannot deceive you because you are in the Word of God and you are a man or a woman of prayer and the Spirit will lead you, and you're walking by the light of God's Word, if He can't deceive you, He will try to distract and discourage you. And how do I keep from getting distracted? How do I keep from getting discouraged? By refocusing on what God has already done and the promises of what God will do and then moving in that direction. When the enemy opposes us, God must be our focus. This was David's focus it's so funny, I had this written in um, our notes tonight, and uh, I have written down here, even when facing Goliath, David's focus was on the Lord. And what did I hear about as we're driving from the house to go get mommy, at, pick mommy up and bring mommy to church, daddy, uh, he's talking about David, why was Goliath so big, and why was Goliath, how come he was so much bigger, he's talking to me about David and Goliath, and I'm like, I'm, this is what I'm talking about tonight, he doesn't know that. But God knows that. And God was just sort of reaffirming even through my son that, listen, we need to be ready for our Goliaths by doing what David did and doing what Isaac did and doing what Abraham did, and that is by focusing on God. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Let me just read two verses from 1 Samuel chapter 17. I want to remind you what... David said to Goliath as he's standing there, Goliath is mocking him, mocking God. This is a, this is a nine foot, over nine foot tall giant, not an NBA basketball player who's all skinny and thin. And I know LeBron James is pretty big, but he, he ain't even seven. What, what is he? Is he seven foot? I don't know. Seven, six, eight. Yeah, he's not even seven foot, right? This is over. This guy's almost 10 feet tall and he's a beast. Because he's, he's not even a full, by the way, he's not even a full-blooded giant. He's a descendant. He is one of the Anakim, meaning a descendant of Anak, who was an actual full-blooded giant. This guy's a descendant of a real giant, and he's almost 10 feet tall. 
He is a monster. But here's what David said. This little shepherd kid with a sling is out there. 1 Samuel 17, verse 40. We'll pick it up in verse 46. Let me back up verse 45. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts. We say today, you come at me with the IRS. You come, at to, you come to me with, with your um, hate group. You come at to me with picketing and with signs. I, you, you come to me with a spear and a shield. I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts. The God of armies of Israel whom thou hast defied, this day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand. And I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. Now we're not saying that to the IRS, okay? We're not saying that. Different situation here. Let's not uh, uh, stretch the text too much. But I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. This was David's faith, not in himself, not in his, not in his ability to throw a stone, but in his God. And God will give me what I need to get done. A familiar focus. When the enemy opposes us, God must be our focus. And then when our focus is on God, we must move in faith. It's not enough to say I believe and then act like I don't believe. If I believe, then I have to act like it. I have to take that step of faith. As the old Petra song says, waters never part until our feet get wet. The, the Jordan did not stop for the children of Israel until they stepped into the Jordan. And when their, when their feet hit the water, the water parted. But God didn't part it until then. So they're marching and they're marching and they're marching and they're thinking, we're going to get soaked. Or they're thinking, God's going to do it. He said he's going to do it. We're going to keep marching. Don't slow down. We're going to keep marching. And boom, the water split when their feet hit the water. Isaac said, we're going to Beersheba. And God showed up. And then Isaac didn't say, thanks, God. I'll sit back and, let, and watch you work. He said, start digging. Start digging. So we pray, yes. Ask, and it will be given unto you. But then we also have to seek. We have to put feet to our prayers. And then we have to knock. We have to keep being persistent in seeking. There's a lot of sweat equity that goes into living out our faith. And so faith without works is dead. We walk by faith, not by sight. We have to really put our focus into action and move in faith, not just say we believe. And so this brings us again, as we talked about last week, we're going to revisit it again this week. How does God respond to faith? Familiar favor. The familiar favor of God. Isaac sought to live at peace with his neighbors and to faithfully trust God. Even when he was being wronged, he was seeking to live at peace with his neighbors and to trust God to provide and not to try to force things himself. And so as God appeared to Isaac again and reaffirmed his promise, we are reminded that when we live in obedient faith, God brings the victory. When we live in obedient faith, God, the victory is the Lord's. It's God's victory. The battle, David said to Goliath, the battle's the Lord's. We 
come to God, and when we face our enemies, we say the battle is the Lord's. This is the victory that overcomes the world, 1 John 5, 4, even our faith. We always have to seek, and if you're in my Sunday morning Bible study, you probably are getting, um, you're probably getting used to me quoting from Romans chapter 12. I've done it a lot over the last few months especially, but Romans chapter 12, such a critical passage of Scripture as it relates to our relationships Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. And then as part of that, do not return evil for evil, but overcome evil with good. Heap those hot coals upon the heads of your enemies. Overcome evil with good. Allow God to fight for us. And then, as we already talked about with the altar, when God brings the victory, our response should be worship our response now this is worship by faith god has blessed him once and god is and then he goes to beersheba that's a step of faith so god appears to him reaffirms his promise and then he takes another step of faith and he says start digging but he's also he's built that altar just as his dad did he built that altar as a testament and a reminder to himself of God's faithfulness. Now, again, I, I shared this when we talked about Abraham. I don't know what an altar is going to look like for you and your life and your family, but you need to find a way when God does a work in your life, in your family, and if he hasn't done it yet, it's because there's somewhat, something that we're holding on to. We're not letting him. Uh, we, we're resisting him, and God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. we got to humble ourselves. we got to actually take those steps of faith but when we experience victory, we need to respond with worship. Remember the 10 lepers who came to Jesus and Jesus healed all 10? And they start running and only one of the 10 came back and fell at his feet and worshiped. And Jesus said, where are the other nine? Where are the other nine? How, how often are we more like the other nine? We pray, we pray, we pray, we pray. God answers it. And then let's move on to the next prayer request. Rather than taking that time to say, thank you, God. I remember I, I, I didn't end up going to school there, but I, I visited Washington Bible College, which has now been absorbed in, in part of Langston Bible College, but um, it, the seminary there. But um, I remember when Dr. Fletcher was the president there and uh, years ago, many years ago, I was in high school, so a long time ago. And uh, <laughs> it's not that funny. Um, <laughs> And uh, they had, a, they had a, a, a big thing, a bulletin board out, outside of the chapel. And as we were going into the chapel that day, Dr. Fletcher, I don't remember the message. I don't remember who spoke or what they said, but I remember this. He said, this is our uh, prayer request chart. And what we do, we mark the date that the request goes on. And we mark the date that it was answered. And then we make sure that we thank God and keep it on there as, a, as thankfulness to God for as long as we prayed for it, that we're going to be thankful for it. And I thought, wow. Now that's something I still, I still need to attain to. But I thought, wow, what a testimony that we're going to pray, believing God will answer, and then we're going to be responding in worship and thankfulness. Now, here's the next thing God does. Here's how he displays his favor uh, once again. Uh, this familiar favor rolls into a familiar friendship. Now, friendship may be a little strong of a word here, okay? Maybe I'm stretching to try to keep everything alliterated. It's really more of an alliance 
than a friendship or we you know we have a lot of casual friendships you know people that we work with that well yeah we we enjoy being with or we're 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 on good terms when we're with them but then when we stop working together we just lose touch because we weren't really all that close it was really more situational friendship so it's kind of in that sense that i'm using the word friendship but notice what happens in verse 26 this is amazing abimelech went to him from gerat and ahuzath one of his friends and uh, phicol the chief captain of his army and they show up at isaac's door and Isaac said unto them, Wherefore come ye to me, seeing ye hate me, and have sent me away from you? He said, Look, I'm not in the city hanging out with you anymore because you've driven me out of your city, and you guys have been terrorizing me. Your, your servants have been terrorizing me. What do you, why are you here now? And notice what they say. They said, We saw certainly that the Lord was with thee. We kept tormenting you and tormenting you, and opposing you, and instead of retaliating, you just kept trying to live at peace with us, and God kept providing for you, and God kept leading you, and so even your enemies now have to say, certainly the Lord was with thee, and so we thought, maybe we better change our tactics here. Maybe this isn't the best person in the world to have as an enemy. So, let there be now an oath betwixt us, even betwixt us and thee, and let us make a covenant with thee that thou wilt do us no hurt as we have not touched thee. Now, we, right, they, they haven't touched him. Right? They're parsing words. He must, he's a politician, right? He's a king. Well, we haven't touched thee, and we said, let there be now an oath that thou wilt do us no hurt. We have not touched thee. We have done unto thee not, nothing but good, as we have not, we've done nothing but good, and have sent thee away in peace. Thou art now the blessed of the Lord. And so what does he do? Does he spit on them? Does he curse them? No. He made them a feast, and they did eat and drink, and they rose up betimes in the morning and swear one to another, and Isaac sent them away, and they departed from him in peace. And it came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him concerning the well which they had digged and said unto him, We have found water. And he called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba unto this day. And Mike just died. My last point. When God is sincerely worshipped, his peace generates even more blessing. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's David's testimony. That was Isaac's testimony. I hope that's our testimony as well. Let's close in prayer. God, we thank you for your faithfulness to Isaac. And God, we know this is recorded for us, as you say in Romans, that through the patience and comfort of Scripture, we might have hope. There are things about patience that we need to learn from Isaac's patience in facing opposition. But God, there's also more so things that we need to learn about the comfort of your faithfulness and your provision for us that we need in the times when we're facing opposition. 
to remember if we follow you, you will bless. Your blessing will be opposed, God. But if we continue faithfully to follow you and to worship you and to focus on you, God, you will overcome for us. You will give us the victory and you will give even greater blessing. And so, God, we thank you for that and praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. That's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you'd like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. If you've never joined us in person, we have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service at 6.30 p.m., and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather. The youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our WANA program for 6th grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. Again, we thank you for joining us today, and we hope to see you soon. But until next time, stay faithful. Thank you.